Welcome to the Joseph Smith Podcast, presented by BYU Speeches, featuring more than a half century's worth of devotionals and forums exploring the prophet's life and teachings. Be sure to check out our other podcasts by searching BYU Speeches wherever you get your podcasts or by visiting speeches.byu.edu slash podcasts. It's a pleasure to meet you this morning. This is a wonderful group. I love the young people. Of course, that 13 years in between, Brother Wilkinson, I was on two high councils. That finished my service. And I hope the time will never come that I won't be active. I went to move out of a stake once, and the president tried to persuade me not to go. Promised me everything from his job down if I'd stay. <laughs> and I said, well, you don't know me, president. I said, I've never looked for a job in this church in my life, and I never expect to. But I said, as long as I love the Lord... As much as I do in his church, I'll find something to do wherever I go. And I can't remember since I was a deacon, I've ever been out of the service more than long enough to get in again. I've been released from more jobs than anyone else. But that, that doesn't speak very well for how little I can contribute after all those years of service. But I love the young people of the church. It was my great privilege to preside as the presiding bishop for 14 years, and we preside over the boys, and I used to say that um, if you could tell us how to keep the boys and the girls separated, we'd keep leave the girls alone, and then they created that girls program and gave it to us, and so we had the boys and the girls. Now, I know that uh, what your favorite subject is, and marriage, and... Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I've already treated that down here, and all the brethren have. Of course, you're not all married yet, so I suppose that that wouldn't be out of place. But uh, Brother Wilkinson's introduction would indicate to you that I'd had little experience as a missionary. And so I thought this morning that I'd talk to you a little about the missionary work or at least our attitude toward the great responsibility that is ours as missionaries to the entire world. I think anyone who's privileged to have anything to do with this great organization, either as a student or a member of the faculty or a member of the board of trustees or the executive officers, are favored of the Lord. We have a great privilege and a great responsibility. This organization represents the only organization in the world authoritatively authorized to speak in the name of the Lord. And when you think of what a territory that covers, it's a great responsibility. Now the Lord is working to a great eternal plan. Isaiah tells us that known unto him are all of his works from the beginning, and that he doeth nothing save he reveal his secrets to his servants, the prophets, so that to me the gospel just like a big blueprint, and you can take it and follow it step by step, and when you think things are not going to happen of their own will, 
then you come to such statements as contained in the first chapter of Ezra, where the Lord said that he stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, to rebuild the temple at Jerusalem in order that the promises of the Lord through Jeremiah might be fulfilled. In other words, his purposes fail not, he tells us, neither are there any who can stay his hand. So when the prophets speak, we know that their words will be fulfilled. That's why Peter said that we have a more sure word of prophecy, and we do well that we cleave unto it, as unto a light shining in a dark place, until the day star shall arise in our hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For holy men of old spake not according to their own wisdom, but as they were moved upon by the power of the Holy Ghost. Now you study here many branches of science. My way of thinking, the science of all sciences is religion. And no matter how many of the others you acquire, unless you delve deeply into the science of religion and understand your relationship to God and his purposes in the earth, you can hardly hope that your life will be successful. I like the little statement made by Brother uh, Widsoe when he went to land in Great Britain to preside over the British mission during the First World War. And when the English immigration official saw his passport and who he was, he said, nothing doing, go sit down. And they said, we've been letting your missionaries in, but we don't want any of your leaders. And then in a little bit he called him back and he said, if I let you enter my country, what will you teach my people? And Brother Widsow said, I'll teach them where they came from and why they're here and where they're going. And he looked up at him and he says, does your church teach that? And Brother Widsow says, it surely does. Well, mine doesn't, he said, and came down with his stamp and okayed his passport and told him that he might enter. Now, there isn't any place in the world that I know of where a man can learn where he came from and why he's here and where he's going except through the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and all its auxiliaries such as this great institution here today. And without that knowledge, it seems to me that no man or woman could expect to make a success of his or her life. Now, uh, if we could see this work as God sees it, if the veil were just parting, if we could understand what's just ahead of us and what the final winding up scenes will be and just what has happened in this world since the restoration of the gospel, I think that our appreciation of membership in the church would be greatly enhanced if we were able to give credit where credit belongs. Uh, we're told by the holy prophets, Isaiah, that darkness should cover the earth and gross darkness the people. Now, during that period of time, 
that we call the Dark Ages, there was practically no progress made in this world. Centuries came and went, and yet the world remained in more or less the same crude condition, kind of homes they lived in, without any of the modern conveniences that we have today. There are methods of uh, transportation, communication. The world just didn't move. People just existed. And then, commencing with the coming of the Father and the Son, when the Father introduced his Son to the boy prophet Joseph Smith, the days of darkness seemed to be dispersed because the Lord said that in the last days he would pour out his Spirit upon all flesh. Now there are those that think that it's just because men have become more intelligent of themselves. But that is not true. It's because the hour had come for a new day. Like Paul said, the Lord had made known unto him the mystery of his will, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he would gather together in Christ all that which is in heaven above and that which is in the earth beneath. Now, my way of interpreting that scripture means that everything that God created in its fundamental shape and form, every energy and power and element that was ultimately destined to serve the use of man should find its place during this dispensation. And then the Lord said that he would pour out his spirit upon all flesh in the latter days. And the young men should dream dreams and their old men see visions or vice versa. And I could tell you stories about that and how the Lord works, just like he stirred up the spirit of Cyrus king of Persia, to rebuild the temple at Jerusalem, just like he moved upon Columbus after this land had been hid away from the eyes of the world. For century after century, as the Lord said in the Book of Mormon, and then he moved upon this man of the Gentiles to come to this land in order that it might be prepared to become the cradle of liberty and the place upon which the uh, church should be established and ultimately the new Jerusalem of the Lord our God. So that these things have come about in a natural way and yet directed and inspired by the Almighty and through his means of communicating to the minds of men. Now I read a little article some time ago in the Reader's Digest about called Sikorsky's Dream told about how he went up into an airplane to test it out over New York, and he saw the blue lights and the mahogany trim, and all at once it occurred to him that all that he'd seen 30 years before in a dream, and it didn't seem strange to him then that he was flying in the air, although it was before the day of airplanes. And yet Isaiah saw this day. He saw the day when they should fly about as doves to their windows, speaking of individuals. Saw the railroad trains and all these great developments thousands of years ago. But the Lord knew that in our time that they should all come forth for the use of man. Now back of all of that is the fact 
that the Lord had in waiting a great prophet to usher in this great gospel dispensation. One of my favorite chapters of all the scriptures is the third chapter of Second Nephi, where the Lord promised Joseph, who was sold into Egypt, that in the latter days he would raise up a choice seer and a prophet from his loins like unto Moses. Now, um, in the Bible we're told that there was no prophet in Israel like unto Moses, for Moses communed with God face to face as one man communes with his friend. And that's the kind of a prophet God promised Joseph would be raised up in the latter days to, he said, to bring forth my word. Now you know what the prophet Joseph gave us. He gave us the Book of Mormon. He gave us the Doctrine Covenants. He gave us the Pearl of Great Price. All the word of God that this world knew nothing about until the Lord brought forth this choice seer and prophet like unto Moses. And the Lord said, I will make him great in mine eyes, for he shall do my work. Now the world can judge him as they will, but in the eyes of God, this prophet that was to come in the latter days was to be great in the eyes of God. Now you've heard the statement that there's over 20,000 books in our library up in Salt Lake dealing with the life of Joseph Smith, many against, many for, while in the library in Washington there's only some 2,600 when I read the statistics last, dealing with the father of our country, great and noble as he was, nevertheless his influence upon the world will never be felt to the extent that the influence of this man whom God raised up, who is to become great in his eyes. I was reading in the history of Vermont just a few weeks ago, and under the title Sharon, the place where the prophet Joseph was born, was a statement like this. Sharon enters the hall of fame by being the birthplace of that immortal of American history, Joseph Smith, the founder of the Mormon religion. He enters the hall of fame by being that uh, the, the uh, uh, organizer of the church that we're privileged to belong to. Now that's after many years since he lived. Now here's a statement out of the New York Herald back in 1842, measuring him at that time. It reads, Joseph Smith is undoubtedly one of the greatest characters of the age. He indicates as much talent, originality, and moral courage as Mohammed. Odin, or any of the great spirits that, hither, that have hitherto produced the revolutions of past ages. In the present infidel, irreligious, ideal, geological, animal, magnate age of the world, some such singular prophet as Joseph Smith is required to preserve the principle of faith and to plant some new germs of civilization that may come to maturity in a thousand years. While modern philosophy, which believes in nothing but what you can touch, 
is overspreading the Atlantic states, Joseph Smith is creating a spiritual system combined also with morals and industry that may change the destiny of the race. We certainly want some such prophet to start up, take a big hold of the public mind, and stop the torrent of materialism that is hurrying the world into infidelity, immorality, licentiousness, and crime. Now I say, as I go through the church, that there isn't an honest man or an honest woman in this world who really loves the Lord, who wouldn't accept the teachings of this prophet if they knew who he was and how he was sent and know that God had him in waiting 3,000 years before he came, the Lord announced his coming and what his work would be here upon this earth. And he said he should not only bring forth his word, but that he would bring them to a conviction of his word that had already gone forth among them. Now you take the Bible, and the Bible is almost a sealed book to many. Oh, they read some of the little stories in it. But as far as to be able, being able to interpret the mind and the will of God and his purposes pertaining to this earth and the inhabitants thereof, they cannot do it without the knowledge that has come through the sending of this great prophet in this day. And he brings them to an understanding of his truths that had already gone forth among them. Now here I have a little book called The Marvelous Work and the Wonder that I wrote that, to help the missionaries a little. And in the back of that book, I listed 42 major items of religious faith that are unknown to the world and they can't explain to you that are simple, plain things to the Latter-day Saints because of the coming of this prophet who was able to bring us to a conviction of the truths that were already among them but what they were not able to understand. i give you one or two little illustrations of what I mean. When I was in Holland 50 years ago nearly, he gave you the date so there's no need to deny that I'm that old, I was invited one night into the home of a Bible group in The Hague and uh, the home of a, a prominent furniture dealer there. And I was asked to speak on the subject of universal salvation, which includes the preaching of the gospel in the spirit world, baptism for the dead, the opportunity that God has prepared for those who do not hear the gospel here in mortality to hear it and to accept it. They gave me an hour and a half, 20 of them sitting around the room, all with their Bibles. And as far as I can remember, I can't remember that one question was asked me during the hour and a half. I just proceeded to explain to them the glorious truths recorded in their own scriptures. And when I was through, I closed my Bible, laid it down on the table, folded my arms, and waited for a comment. The first comment came from the daughter of the man of the house. She says, Father, I just can't understand it. She says, I have never attended one of these Bible classes in my life that you haven't had the last word to say on everything. And tonight, 
you haven't said a word. <laughs> he shook his head. He says, my daughter, there isn't anything to say. He said, this man has been teaching us things we've never heard of. And he's been teaching them to us out of our own Bibles. That's what the Lord meant when he said that this prophet, who would be great in his eyes, should not only bring forth his word, but that he would bring them to a conviction of his word that had already gone forth among them. I was back in New Bedford, Massachusetts, doing missionary work, and I went in the home of a man, his wife, and this man, every time I'd leave, he'd say, I guess I've been a Mormon all my life, and didn't know it, and uh, his wife would never come in and listen. She'd go in the next room and iron, and that's rather a quiet job, as you know, and she'd leave the door open, so uh, I made it my business to see that she heard what was going on, <laughs> even though she wouldn't come in. And when I went there for the last time, I said, Ms. McDonald, it'd sure honor me if you'd come in and listen to me. You may never see me again in this world. And I said, I would feel honored if you would come in this afternoon. It was an afternoon appointment. Finally, she came in. So then I said to her husband, you hand your wife the Bible. And he did. And we just started. And in walked her son from Harvard University. And with exultation, she said, you're just in time. You have a trained mind. You sit down and listen to this man and tell us how he's trying to lead us astray. Well, and I said, you hand your mother, you hand your son the Bible to the mother, and the Bible changed hands again. I started all over. That particular afternoon, I was talking on the promises to Judah and Joseph and followed through the division of these great kingdoms and the two records that were to be kept and the branch of Joseph that was to run over the wall into the utmost bounds of the everlasting hills and the final bringing together of those records and ultimately the bringing together of those two kingdoms. They gave me an hour and a half. I don't think there was a question asked during that afternoon's discussion. That man from Harvard just followed chapter and verse as I gave them to him in the scriptures. And when I was through, I closed my Bible and laid it on the table, turned to him and said, Will you please tell your mother how I'm trying to lead you astray? Shook his head and he says, Mother, this man isn't trying to lead you astray. He's teaching you the truth. Now, brothers and sisters, these things are not known to the world. Nowhere in all the world except through the coming of this prophet could anyone tell you the meaning of those great promises and prophecies and the two records and where they are and the people that should be brought down low and speak out of the dust and have a familiar spirit. All of that is the thi are the things that belong to us through the coming of this great prophet. Now, I preached a sermon down in Quitman, Georgia, one night on the eternal duration of the marriage covenant and the family unit, and I took the scriptures for it. And before doing it, I read out of Ruland Howell's little book, Do Men Believe What Their Churches Prescribe? What the main churches of the world believe on those subjects. And there wasn't one of them that believed that marriage would endure beyond the grave. And there wasn't one of them that believed that the family unit would exist beyond the grave. And when I was through, I went down the door 
and a Baptist minister came up. I didn't know he was in the audience and introduced himself. And I said, did I misquote you? No, he said, Mr. Richards, but it's just like you say. We don't all believe all the things our churches teach. I said, you don't believe it either. I said, why don't you go home and teach your people the truth? They'll accept it from you, and they're not ready to accept it from the Mormon elders. He said, I'll see you again. I couldn't get any more out of him that night. When I went back there about four months later, my coming was announced in the newspaper because I was president of the mission. As I walked up to that little chapel, there he stood. And after we'd shaken hands, I said, I certainly would be interested to know what you thought of my last talk here. So Mr. Richards, I've been thinking about ever since. And I believe every word you've said. Honey, I'd like to have heard the rest of it. Now, you know you never get talked out when you get started talking about this marvelous work and wonder that the Lord has established. Now, there's a man occupying a pulpit in his church that believed in these things because they were in the word of God and yet he couldn't teach them to his people because it wasn't a part of their creed. Now that's what the Lord meant when he said, and he shall bring them to a conviction of my word that's already gone forth among them. And through the coming of this great prophet of these latter days, these things have been made very plain to us so that we could teach them. Along that same subject, you may have all seen the show or read the book on the man Peter. I had the privilege of spending an hour, an hour and a half with Peter in his uh, study in Atlanta when he was occupying the pulpit there in the Presbyterian church. I asked him what was the attitude of his church with respect to eternal marriage and the family unit. Well, he says, Mr. Richards... We're not allowed to teach that doctrine in our church. I knew that they were not because I had their own statement for it. But he said, in my own mind, my own heart, he said, I have stubborn objections. And then he proceeded with this little explanation. He said, when you take the kitten away from the cat, in a few days, the cat's forgotten all about the kitten. When you take the calf away from the cow, in a few days, the cow's forgotten all about the cat. But when you take a child away from its mother's bosom, though she lived to be a hundred years old, she never forgets the child of her bosom. He said, I find it difficult to believe that God created love like that to perish in the grave. Now, if you saw the play, you saw quite a bit of Mormonism in it. He knew a lot about Mormonism. Uh, the home where he boarded were members of his church, but they came to our church more than they did to his, and they took the literature home for him to read, and he sent over to our office to get our books on our youth program, MIA books, and you notice in that show the beautiful talk on the word of wisdom. We couldn't have done any better than that, the little girl that he married. And when he finally talked to those boys up at Annapolis there and told them if they never came home, they'd be united with their loved ones on the other side, you can't find that kind of a promise in any, in any Presbyterian literature in this world. Nor could he preach it in his pulpit. But he did it up the military academy. And all of that came 
through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the Lord said that it should be the leaven that would leaven the lump. And these truths are spreading abroad and going out into the world, and they're beginning to recognize that there are things that they have never believed before. Now, if you take the time to go down through these things, you start right at the beginning with the God that we worship. Jesus said, For this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. And there isn't a church in the world that believed in the true and the living God in whose image we are created and whose sons and daughters we literally are. At the time that God raised up this seer, choice seer, and prophet like unto Moses who would bring forth his word and bring them to a conviction of his word that had already gone forth among them. Jesus said to Nicodemus when he came by night that except a man be born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. And yet there was a church in all the world teaching the first four fundamental truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ whereby you could put on his name and be born again of the water and of the Spirit. And that's faith in God, as you read in the sixth chapter of Hebrew, repentance of dead works, baptism for immersion, for the remission of sins, and the laying on of hands for the reception of the Holy Ghost. You see the need for God to send back a prophet inspired of him who should not be led according to the wisdom and the knowledge of men. Now, I've spoken of the Book of Mormon. What a marvelous thing that is, the Doctrine and Covenants. When I was back in the East, I read the first section of the Doctrine and Covenants to a woman who spent her whole life in the schoolroom and used to go to Boston to hear all the great lectures there. And when I finished reading that chapter to her, I said, does that sound to you like someone had written that with an intent or desire to lead away the souls of men? from following after God, she says, Mr. Richards, sounds to me like any college professor would be proud to attach his name to that article. Try writing one like it, any of you. See how well you get along. I attended a, a Doctrine and Covenants class up at the Barrett Hall. It was directed by Brother Widsoe a few years back, Sister Richards and I. He had Inez Whitbeck read chapter after chapter or sections of these sections, and then he'd say something like this. Now you college students, now you professors, could you write anything like that? I wish I could, he'd say. There he'd been president of two universities, written dozens of books, and yet he admitted that the word of God that has come to us through this prophet, and the Lord said, he shall bring forth my word. And those words come from God the Eternal Father for the direction of his church in the earth. Now you could go through, take for instance the three degrees of glory. My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. The universal accepted idea of the Christian world is that there's a heaven and a hell. If you're not good enough to get in heaven, you go to hell, you're just bad as all the rest that are there. And if you're just good enough to get in and not as good as the rest, you're as good as the rest because there are only two places. What a difference in that. And this 76th section of the Doctrine and Covenants. To me, 
that we call the vision. Paul was caught up into the third heaven, the paradise of God. He saw all those things, but he was not privileged to write it. And when the prophet Joseph received that revelation, he was told that it was a transcript of the records of the eternal worlds. As far as we know, there's never a time when God had indicated the difference in the degrees of glory and those who might inhabit them until he gave that marvelous revelation to the prophet Joseph Smith. We've talked about eternal duration of the marriage come, the family tie, the Book of Mormon, and then this great uh, millennial reign that's about to come, the organization of the church with apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers and evangelists and the holy priesthood. Why, you go out and ask any church in the world under what priesthood they're administering, they don't even know the difference between them. And yet Paul tells us that if perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under that they received the law, what need was there that another priest should arise, not after the order of Aaron, but after the order of Melchizedek? For the priesthood being changed, there was of necessity a change in the law. And yet they don't know anything about things like that. Well, it's time for me to close with that. So only just a few of the little items mentioned in the 42 that I mentioned there. And then speaking of the promises of the restoration of the gospel, the kingdom to be set up in the latter days, the marvelous work and a wonder that God said he'd bring forth. And then the Lord's appraisal of this prophet. I read you one more verse therefrom. For the thing which the Lord shall bring forth by his hand, by the power of the Lord, shall bring my people unto salvation. He held the keys. He received the sealing power to bind on earth, and it should be bound in heaven. And nowhere else in all this world can such power be found and authority except as it came to us through this prophet, this choice seer, and prophet like unto Moses, whom God raised up to usher in this great gospel dispensation. Now in closing, we have the responsibility to bear this message to all the world. We can do it by word of mouth, and we can do it by the lives that we live. When Jesus tried to convince them that he was the Son of God, sent to bring them eternal life, and they were not willing to believe. He said, If ye believe not my words, believe them my words. May God help each one of us who's privileged to be a member of this church to let our words and our light shine so that if the world judges this great latter-day work by us individually, their judgment will be righteous. They'll know there's power in it, that it touches the lives of men as no other thing in all this world. I pray God to bless you all and this great institution in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to the Joseph Smith Podcast presented by BYU Speeches. Please check out our other podcasts of recent speeches, classic speeches, and BYU Speeches compilations on love and marriage, overcoming adversity, by study and by faith. Come follow me and Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer. Go to speeches.byu.edu and click on Podcasts for more information. 
You can also find all BYU Speeches podcasts at your preferred podcast provider.